We open up the word of God. It's an act of worship to God. We want to receive God, your instruction. It doesn't stop when we stop singing. It continues in the way we open up the word of God. And with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And Lord, as we conclude our study of the book of Romans, I pray, God, that we would have a heart that is ready to receive what you want to teach us today. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a series entitled Faith from the Inside Out for almost a year, studying the last five chapters of the book of Romans. One of these amazing books of the New Testament, a fantastic theological treatise. I mean, if you want to find out some of the major doctrines of the faith, you can find them in the book of Romans. And we talked about this chart and the theme being, you see it on the top, justified by faith, written around 57 AD from the city of Corinth, most scholars believe, to the church in Rome with a promise that Paul made that one day I will come to the church in Rome. I'll come to you. I want to see you. He had a love. for us. Well, that's what the last five chapters have been all about. As we live out the gospel, as we serve God. The theme verse really was right from the beginning. It says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Right? right? We want God to transform us. We don't want to live in the same old garbage anymore. We want to get out of that garbage. That's why we came to Christ. That's why we find hope in Jesus Christ, because he died and rose again, and he created us and knows what's best for us. And if we're going to be transformed, we get transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the word of God to our lives. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You don't think the same way anymore. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. The word testing there means put it into Last week we talked about protecting the faith and how we need to take a stand for the faith against those that want to undermine God's truths or divide the church. We need to take, this, take a stand. Today I want to talk about this, the mystery of Christ unraveled. Mystery unraveled. 
Paul talks about this amazing mystery of the gospel. And we're going to talk about that today. The bottom line is this. The mystery of God's good news became abundantly clear in the incarnation of the perfect God-man who gave his life on the cross for our sins. It is an awesome true story. And the Bible calls it a mystery, not because God wanted to keep it hidden from us and keep us in the dark, but it was revealed over time. Portions of it revealed over time. You can understand that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Man, I hope this message brings joy to your heart today because that's exactly what God wants us to experience, a joy in knowing him that we don't have to live like broken people anymore in this world, hopeless and helpless. But you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have hope today because of what he did for you on the cross. Let me read this passage. It says this, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ Amen, that final word in the book of Romans. Amen, so be it. Now here's the first thing I want to share with you today, and it's a great message. It's this, plug into the strength that your relationship with God can give you. My hope and prayer today is you're saying, you know, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I have more strength to live out my, my faith. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I can face the trials of this life in a more prepared way. Because I know my life is not the victim of fate, but there is a loving God who is in control. And sometimes, and I I get this, you know, we have an evangelistic neighborhood Bible study going on in my house that my wife is leading. This is a common topic. In fact, they asked me to come in, and there are about 13, 14 ladies in this study from our neighborhood. What about the problem of evil, in essence, was the question. The the problems that are in the world, and we know why they're, they're here. Because we've rebelled against God right from the very beginning. We've sinned against God. That's why there's death and, and, and calamity and illness and sickness. People have rebelled against God. 
pushing God away. But in our faith in Jesus Christ, like it says here, now to him who's able to strengthen you. I want to ask you today, do you find strength in your faith in Jesus Christ? When you're burdened, do you find strength that you know there's a God who is in control that works everything together for good? That as you face the trials of life, you want to draw near to him. Yes, you're aware of the attacks of Satan. We get that. Satan and his forces are out there, but we never want to focus on him. We want to be aware of him, aware of his schemes. But the Bible says, draw near to God. Wait upon the Lord like Isaiah 40 says, and you will mount up like wings of eagles. You wait upon the Lord. You wait upon his application of his truth in your life. Are you plugging into the strength every day that you can find in Jesus Christ? Now, I'm probably like you. Times I feel discouraged. Times I feel weak. At, at times there are questions in my heart. But, but I know whenever I have the discipline to come before the Lord and just seek him, and in, in a sense like the song says, right, count your blessings every day. Uh, count all the things that God has blessed you with. Remind yourself how blessed you are to know Jesus Christ as opposed to those in the world who are living in darkness. There are so many ways to count our blessings, to find strength in the Lord. And I want to tell you, that renews my spirit. When I start to listen to praise music in my home and in my car, that renews my spirit. It renews my strength. When I saturate myself with the truths of God's Word, it gives me strength. Are you doing that in your life? Saturate yourself with the truth of God's word. Change the music that you listen to. Change what you read, what you're inputting into your life. Your relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, should give you strength every day, and only God can give it. See, that's what he's saying here. Now who, to him who's able to strengthen you. I love how he says, according to my gospel, my gospel. Paul owns this gospel. You know, it's a great transformation for me as a pastor when somebody comes to the church and says, oh, your church is so friendly. Oh, I love the worship at your church. And to see that person start to attend Riverview Church and all of a sudden, I love the worship at my church, right? I love the people at my church. And as Paul concludes the Gospel of Romans, <coughs> excuse me, he says, this is my gospel. I've owned this. He is for me. He wants the best for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? That gives me a strength and a boldness that I can find nowhere else. And here's another thing that gives me strength in my life, and I hope in yours. A deep conviction of Christ's eternal truths. A deep conviction of Christ's eternal truths. You know, the more you study the more a word of God, the more you're amazed by the wisdom of of it. To have this deep conviction of what Jesus taught and what he said and the uniqueness of Christ is powerful. When, when I'm in my marriage and we're having uh, differences of opinion about things or struggles or tension in my marriage, I want to be driven back to the truths of God's word about how I should handle that. When I see the world and I think, well, the, there's problems out there that seem like the world is out of control. I want to be driven back to the word of God to see what God's word says about that. There's a deep conviction in my heart, at least there should be, right, of the eternal truths of the word of God. God is in control. 
God knows exactly what's happening. There's problems in the world because people have rebelled against God and sinned. That's why we experience problems. These deep eternal truths give me strength that Jesus is with me. He has a purpose for me. He knows me. He's counted the days of my life before I've ever lived them. I hope you're encouraged today by a God who's that involved in your life. He knows who you are. I love what it says in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We should never think that God is overloaded by the information of this world. We should never think that God is overloaded somehow by knowing all that he does about every individual on the planet. He is not a finite God. He is an infinite God. And too often I have found as a pastor that people want to diminish our God. They can't believe the the miracles of the Bible because how could that happen? Your God is too small. They can't believe the stories of the Bible and all the things that God has done over time because that, that, that violates natural laws. But your God is too small. Jesus has no problem walking on water. Jesus has no problem raising up a dead person. He's the God of this universe. And for me, that's a source of great encouragement. That's the gospel that we've come to own in our lives. That's why I love when Paul says, this is my gospel. He's not saying he invented it. He's saying, it's what drives my life every day. That's how we're to live it out, my friends. Every day, this is the deep conviction of my life. It's the lens, like we said last week, that we look through to interpret all of the events of this life. Are you finding strength today, like Paul says, to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel? And you find strength in that. Change the way you think. Transform your thinking. When you're feeling discouraged, focus on the word of God. Change your inputs. Remind yourself of all the blessings that you have in Christ. It will give you strength, I'm telling you. It will give you strength to face that day. And you take it one day at a time. One step at a time. I told my daughter this this week. One right decision at a time. My daughter just got a job at a restaurant that is brand new. And it was, it was kind of nice because they had family day yesterday. And she's going to be a hostess at this restaurant. And uh, it was family day. So she said, Dad, we can bring the whole family and we get all the food for free. So, of course, I'm not missing that. So we took our family down there, really nice restaurant. We had this beautiful lunch. It was at 1 o'clock. We all sat around together. It was actually my daughter's birthday as well yesterday. So it was a nice birthday celebration. So we sat around this table. And I could sense the pride that my daughter had in that she was supplying this meal for us. Amen? That she provided this meal for us. And there was this sense of, wow, I've done this for my family. This is something that I've done for my family. That's the joy that we get even in serving Christ, that somehow we can use our gifts and abilities to meet the needs of others. There's a joy that comes with that. Here's the second thing I want you to realize from this text. Realize that the gospel is an awesome mystery that has changed your life. It's an awesome mystery. One of the hardest things I think for Christians to understand is that we need to accept the mystery of who God is. If you think you understand God, 
Your God is too what? Small. Your God is too small. If you think you've got it down, if you think you understand all the ways of God, your God is too small. Now we know this, he'll never violate his character, right, in the way he acts. But God works in mysterious ways. God is a God of mystery. We will never fully understand him until we step into eternity. But here on this planet, there will be times when you're confused. There will be times when God will ask you to give up the need to know why. Why, God? Why? And sometimes we make that demand, but I want to tell you, there's a great step of growth when you can change that question of why, God, to what are you trying to teach me, God, through this? Wonderful step of growth. Wonderful step of growth. God, what are you trying to teach me through this? I'll give up my need to know why this is happening. But what are you trying to teach me? It's a wonderful step that takes you from elementary uh, school Christianity to graduate level Christianity. God, in this trial, what are you trying to teach me? That there's a mystery in the way that God works. We don't fully understand. That's really what he says here in verse 25. That there's a, a, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Now, it wasn't kept secret like God didn't want to tell us. But the whole story of the gospel is this ongoing step-by-step revelation of who Jesus is. And it was mysterious to the Old Testament believers. Who is this Messiah? How will he come? When will he come? It's a mystery. And God was revealing it step-by-step. The Greek word here is, you can see where we get the word mystery from. It's right out of the Greek language. Mysterion, once hidden but now revealed. That's what the text is saying here. We have the benefit of looking back on Jesus' life and we're like, man, we get it. Those Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, wow, fulfilled in Christ. And yes, more to come, more on the way. Don't doubt it. Our God is an awesome God. There are more prophecies yet to be fulfilled. And we've talked about that with Israel, right? The state of Israel coming back into being in 1948. I hope you look at that and say, wow, that's an indication of the word of God and how it will come to pass. Every jot, every tittle will come to pass. And the smallest little mark in the word of God will come to pass. See, mystery means uh, the amazing, mind-boggling aspect of the gospel. That's when I read the word mystery, that's, I think of mind-boggling. When Paul says here, according to the revelation of the mind-boggling truth of God that was kept secret for long ages, what is that mind-boggling truth? That God became man, 100% human, 100% divine, beautifully brought together in what theologians call the hypostatic union. It's a mind-boggling aspect of the gospel. It's what makes Christianity unique from every other world religion. See, every other world religion is about us trying to reach up to God, about us trying to make it to where God is. But the amazing message of Christ is this. God came down to us. God pursued us. He came to this world as the Lamb of God, the mind boggling mystery of the gospel is that God would die for me. And it's my gospel. It's mine. It's changed my life. Like Paul said, it's my gospel. It's amazingly powerful. Here's another way I look at it. The awesome, hard for humans to truly comprehend gospel. It's the awesome, hard for humans to truly comprehend gospel. 
because the story is so wonderful. That's why it's called the Evangelion, the good news, the good message of Christ. And here's the thing we need to do. Embrace, embrace the astounding mystery of the gospel. It's not a negative. It's that God has worked in mysterious ways to bring about our righteousness. God has worked in mysterious ways to bring about an amazing relationship that we have, that we've been adopted into the family of God. Deuteronomy 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Those mysterious things that we don't fully understand, they belong to God. But then he goes on to say this, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, right? See, what God wanted us to know is right here in the word of God. There are things that we will not fully understand. We need to accept that. I don't fully understand that, but that's one of the secret things that belong to our Lord. But the things that are revealed, I'm gonna grab onto those and hold onto them with a deep conviction in my life. And I will not let the world sway me because their plan is hopeless. Their plan is helpless. God's plan is awesome. I'll not let go of it. Ephesians 2 says this, to bring to light for everyone is what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What's the heart of that mystery? Well, he goes on to tell us, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. See, the heart of this mystery is Jesus Christ. The heart of the mystery is the uniqueness of Christ. Colossians 1.27 says this, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this mystery, which is, this is powerful, the next verse, the next uh, phrase says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only did Christ die for you, but Christ is in you. He lives inside of you. That's a mystery. We don't know exactly how it is done, but he has done it. Seeing the sub point under this that I know encourages me in my faith is prophecies that strengthen our faith in the work and person of Christ. Look at the text. That's what he says, right? This is right out of the Bible. This is right out of the word of God. Verse 26, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made to all nations. What Paul's saying is the prophecy should confirm our faith. That should be another confirmation of our faith. When I was asked to join these ladies from our neighborhood that my wife is leading a Bible study for in our home, they asked me that. Well, how do you know the Bible's true? And one of the first things I turn to and I talk about is what? The prophecies of God's word. Is there any other life in human history that you know of that has prophecies made about his life or her life long before he ever lived, like Jesus? No one even comes close. No one like him. Think about it. No other religious leader claims to have all these prophecies made about him before he came. And we know what some of them are. I'll just give you a few of them. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, right? A mystery. I'm sure Isaiah, even the prophet, as he wrote those words down, thought, this is a mystery. God with us. What is the exact meaning of that name? God with us. And the virgin shall conceive. Wow, that's unique, right? Amazing way to enter this world. Micah 5, 2, here's another one. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, 
one who is ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. It's a prophetic way of saying from eternity, a mystery. But Jesus born in Bethlehem, that right there, that excludes 99.999% of humanity. How many people have been born in Bethlehem in the history of the world? Not many, a few, right? But right there, that excludes billions of people. Only the one who's born in Bethlehem who fulfilled these other prophecies can be the Messiah. I love the prophecy that's done in Daniel, the destruction of Jerusalem. You probably know that the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. They came down to Jerusalem, destroyed it. They, they marched thousands of young Jews back to Babylon. It's called the Babylonian exile. It lasted 70 years. And things seemed very hopeless for the nation of Israel. They didn't think there was much hope. God, what's happening? We're in exile. I thought there were all these promises for the nation of Israel. And as these thousands of Jews were marched into Babylon, which is that red right circle on your map, they were far from their homeland. But a prophet by the name of Daniel rose to the scene. And he predicted this in Daniel 9. He said, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, that means Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. In the original Hebrew, the word weeks really, literally is sevened. That's the word seven. And what he's really talking about here is a period of seven years, uh, 62 times seven years. That's a period of seven years every time he talks about a week. So if you take the math of this, seven plus 62, that's 69 weeks times seven years, that's 483 years. See, here's what Daniel was saying. When the emperor, when the king makes a decree that Jerusalem shall be rebuilt, the clock starts ticking. It starts ticking. That's the timeline until the anointed one, the Messiah, will be revealed. And Jesus was revealed as the Messiah when he began his public ministry, being baptized by John. Everyone talks about that being the beginning of his public ministry, revealing himself as the Messiah. So when you take the math of that and you look at the decree that was eventually given by Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, who had defeated the Babylonians and now allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild it. That decree was done in 457 B.C. We know that Jesus was born at around 4 B.C. because Herod was still alive when Jesus was born and Herod died at 4 B.C. So our, our calendar is a little bit off. Our, the years are a little bit off. That would mean that Jesus, when he was baptized by John, was baptized in 26 A.D. and would die at 29 A.D. because he lived 33 years. When you take that time frame from 457 to 26 A.D., it's exactly 483 years, just as Daniel prophesied. From the decree of Artaxerxes until the time the anointed one has been revealed. 483 years. Daniel's prophecy is amazing. It's amazing. And then after that, the Bible says, he will be cut off. What does that mean? Isaiah 53 tells us. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
And as for his generation, there's another amazing prophecy, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. See, Paul says the prophecy should encourage us. The prophecy should strengthen our faith. If you ever doubt, turn to the prophecies of God's word and say, is there anyone like Jesus in all of humanity? No one even comes close. It's awesome. In fact, the Word of God says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. All those prophecies from the beginning came to the fullness of time when Jesus would come and lay down His life for us. Romans 16.26 says this, the mystery has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. What's Paul reminding us of? The sovereignty of God. Nothing stops God. Nothing slows him down. He's an awesome God. So I want you to be reminded of that. Events that remind us of God's sovereignty. How God is working out his plan. Nothing stops God. And I know at times you and I can feel discouraged in this world. We can look at, out at world events and think what is going on. But I want you to know today God is in control. God is in control. See, we serve a God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I love what it says about Jesus here. He, Jesus, who is the blessed and only sovereign. Talk about the deity of Christ. That's a great verse for it. The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because he works out his plan. Nothing stops him. He is an awesome God. That's why I define faith as this. What, what is faith? Well, when we live it out, it's really what the last five chapters of Romans are all about. Faith is this, trusting and obeying God no matter what the circumstances because God is in control and promises a good result. Folks, if you hear that definition and it's backed up by the word of God that we're to trust God and obey him no matter what the circumstances because God is in control. And in Romans 8, 28, he promises a good result to those that love God. We need to have faith every day, my friends. That's taking the word of God and living it out. Here's the third thing I want you to know as we close. Realize that our greatest purpose in life is to glorify God and worship him. Our greatest purpose, as we says here right at the end in the text. Go back to it. It says, made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore. See, that's our purpose. He ends with that statement. We're to live for God's glory. It's not about us. It's not about God being our genie and giving us every wish that we ever wanted. See, Jesus taught us this in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, this whole concept of God with us, how close he is, the story keeps on getting better. The mystery keeps on getting better. In the beginning, with God with us, we see that in the birth of the universe, God was intimately involved. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was an imminence in the creation of the universe. He was with us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It gets better, though, because in the birth of Christ, we have the incarnation. God now becoming flesh, walking on the planet, living with us. 
John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. But it gets better than that. Because at the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit took up residence within us. The mystery of Christ in us as well. See, that's the beauty of it. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. It's even better, my friends. The indwelling of God within you. The indwelling of God. And we don't fully understand it, but it's real. We don't fully understand it, but it's the truth. Christ lives in you. And he is with you every step of the way. And our challenge is to take being justified by faith. Man, that's really easy. That's what people have told me. Mel, that's too easy. But it's awesome. It's the awesome truth of God. And now with Christ in us, he gives us the strength to live out what he's called us to be and do, uh, to grow up in all aspects of our lives, to be more like Christ in everything we do. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed today, if you don't know this awesome God, I challenge you today to put your faith and trust in him. He is awesome. And his desire is to live inside of you, to forgive you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, we're amazed by the mystery of your gospel. We're amazed by this book of Romans and all that it has taught us. God, we pray that we would take this amazing reality that's happened to us, that we've been given your righteousness and your holiness, and we would live it out in a way that changes this world and ultimately gives glory to you. God, help us to evaluate everything we do by that one question, does this glorify God? This is what I'm doing right now, glorifying God. That's our desire, Jesus, to glorify you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning. Thank you that we can be your church. And I pray, God, that we would apply this word to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Amazing love.